I'll just give you all a quick uh, little update on the building next door. We snuck over there this morning and peeked around and looked in. Y'all, it looks great. It is the, it's the world's largest barn, but it, is, it looks nice inside, and so I'm excited about it. It looks like they're going to be finishing up. Uh, gosh, we'll, we'll be moving in more than likely in early January, and so that's going to be a big day for us. It'll be a lot of fun, so just wanted to share that with you briefly. Uh, but today we are uh, going to be looking out of 1 John chapter 1, verse number 9, and so if you want to take your Bible, you can go ahead and turn there, and so that's so you can hang a hard right, and you're eventually going to run into 1 John chapter 1, verse number 9, and while you're turning there, uh, earlier this year, NFL referees went on strike. And it went on strike, and so Roger Goodell, who is the commissioner of the NFL, had to hire replacement refs. And so for those of you who like NFL football, you know that the replacement refs, while they're doing the best they could, uh, they made some rather poor calls, you know. And it was just, uh, as a matter of fact, probably the worst call that I saw was the uh, Seattle Seahawks-Green Bay Packers game. I don't know if you all watched that, but a uh, rather strange game. Seahawks down at the end of the game. They throw a Hail Mary. And what happened is the, the pass was actually intercepted. Would you all agree with me, for those of you who saw it? Intercepted, but somehow they ended up saying that Seattle had control of the ball and they won the game on a sorry call. And so as you can imagine, there were some coaches who were a little irritated. Uh, they were Actually, they were fuming mad. And they were frustrated because they felt like the boundaries were, were being shifted around. Uh, bad calls were being made where they shouldn't have been called, and, and good calls seemed to be few and far between. Now, in a lot of ways, as I've thought about that, and I'm always looking for some sort of spiritual application uh, for things, I, I saw that and I thought, you know, in a lot of ways we do the same thing. Uh, it's like we are replacement refs in life, and we take the boundaries that God has set up and we kind of move them around and we shift them around to where everything's just sort of in chaos, and instead of following God's boundaries, we have our own, and I ask the question, how well is that working out for us? And the Bible tells us how well it works out for us. As a matter of fact, in Proverbs 14, 12, it says, there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. And I look at our world today, and I see how we've moved boundaries, and I see that, that pornography today is a multi-billion dollar industry see that marriages are struggling. I see that abortions take place at over a million a year. And I said, that, that's what happens whenever we move God's boundaries. And so this is called sin, you know, when we get outside of God's boundaries. And so when we move outside of his boundaries, the question I have is, is there any way that we can get back inside of God's boundaries? You know, when we stray outside of God's fence that he set up for us, is there any way that we can get back inside the fence? And today we're continuing our series, you know, Simplify, which very simply means always faithful. And one of the great characteristics of God is that God is always faithful to forgive. And that is really the good news for us today. And I'm so thankful that God doesn't look at us and he just writes us off at sin number one. Um, if he did, we'd all be in trouble. Because the Bible says that all of us have sinned. I mean, Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. Romans 6.23, though, is the good news. It says the wages of sin is death, but it says the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Okay, so today in our scripture, 
we're going to see the disciple John sharing with us, God is always faithful to forgive. And I like to latch on to that promise that God gives because I need it. And I'm I'm excited about the fact that God is willing to forgive. But it's important to understand that forgiveness is not free. There's a price that comes with it. And that price was that Jesus allowed himself to be sacrificed for us. The Bible tells us this in 1 John 1, 7. It says the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Hebrews 9.15 says, Therefore he, Jesus, is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called might receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. Why? Because a death has taken place for the redemption from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. So for our sins to be covered so that we might be able to receive God's forgiveness, the Bible says that there had to be a payment. And it was Christ. And so we need to understand, forgiveness, while it's great, it's not free. I mean, there was a price that came with it. And I want us to see today that there are some you know, prerequisites, so to speak, or that there is a, uh, a process that's involved with forgiveness. And so we'll look in 1 John 1, 9. We're just going to look at one verse today. And so that's what we'll read in just a few moments. But at this time, there were a group of teachers, religious leaders, saying, once you become a follower of God, he forgives you. Well, that's right. I totally agree with that, and I'm thankful for it. The problem was, they're saying, but so it doesn't matter how you live. You can live like you want to because God's going to forgive you anyway. And so, you know, just do whatever you want to do. It's going to be fine because everything's going to come out in the wash eventually. God's God's going to forgive you anyway. But what I see in our text is that God shares with us that there's a process that comes with God's faithful forgiveness. And what is it? Well, part of the process of God's faithful forgiveness, and it tells us in verse number 9, is that there is to be an admission of guilt. We have to be willing to admit that we're guilty. Verse number 9 tells us, it says, If we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now again, forgiveness is not something that is just automatic. And I think that kind of goes contrary to what, what many of us have learned in our biblical teaching. I mean, you know, it's not like we can stray outside of God's boundaries and say, it doesn't, it's not that big of a deal. You know, because ultimately God's just going to, he's going to wipe that out anyway. Now, if that were true then the first word of verse number 9 would not be in there. If y'all look at verse number 9, what is the first word of verse 9? What is it? It's if. It says, if we confess our sins. That shows me that there is a responsibility on our part to recognize our sinfulness. That if you are seeking and desiring Forgiveness in your life, in my life, there has to be the if. I have a responsibility to admit my guilt. Now, what what does the if say? It says, if we confess our sins, that's the beginning part of forgiveness. There has to come a time when we confess our sins. That means we're to admit our wrongdoing, to admit that we are living, that there have been times that we step outside of the boundaries of God. That means we can't say, 
and make excuses. Like, you know, boys will be boys. You ever heard that one before? Uh, he's acting that way. You know, he's a brat because, you know, boys will be boys. Some of us make excuses for ourselves. We put it off on our ethnic heritage. Well, you know how the Irish are. You know, I'm Irish, and that's why I have an explosive temper. So that's why you better stay out of my way. But it's not me. I'm Irish. Uh, we come up with all these excuses. You, know, you don't understand the way I was brought up, the way my parents brought me up. That's why I act the way that I do. But, guys, we can't slough off sin. The Bible says that we have to confess it. And confess, that word, it means to say the same thing as. Say the same thing as what? We are to look at our sin and call it the same thing that God does. Now, what does God think about sin? He hates it. He can't stand it. And the reason why is because he understands that it destroys us, that it separates us from God. Psalm 66, 18 is a verse I learned when I was a little kid, and it's always made me nervous. It says, if I have sin in my heart, God will not hear me. Now, I've always heard the, the first step to, to forgiveness and to, to healing is that there has to be an admission of guilt. Because without an admission, a recognition of us doing something wrong, then it's hard to correct the problem, right? You ever seen people who are in denial all the time? Now you see the way that they live, and they, they just deny that there's anything wrong. Do they ever get better? You know, if they're just living in constant denial? Absolutely not. So there has to be the admission of guilt before there can be the healing process, before there can be forgiveness. Uh, there's an old story about a nomad, a desert nomad, and he was hungry, and he only had three dates left. It was nighttime, and so he uh, got his candle out, lit the candle, grabbed one of the dates. He's picking it up. He felt something on it, and he held it up to the candle, and there's a worm in it. He's like, man, this is not good, and so he throws the date out, and he picks up the second, the second date, and as he picks it up, he's thinking, ah, I better check this one out too, and he holds it up, and there's a worm in it as well. And he throws it out. There's only one date left. And so he picks up that one last date, and he's starving to death, and he kind of glances at the date, he looks at the candle, and he blows out the candle and eats the date. Now, yes, sometimes we, we so are so desperate to have our own way that we are willing to blow out the light of God's word so that we can get what we want. And the result is, is we're filling ourselves up, so to speak, on worms, Instead of upon a God who desires to give us life, to give us hope. The Bible says that we, we, we can't live in denial. There's come to a place where we understand that we have sinned and we need to admit it. Because there will be a day when we, were going to be, we are going to be held accountable for the way we live. Numbers 32, 23 says, be sure your sins will find you out. You know why we teach scripture? Because we believe that the scripture is like a light that God uses to shine on your life and my life what's really going on inside of us. And so we want to be able to see what's going on inside of us so that we can get that sin and junk and get it out of our lives. Now there's a process that comes with God's forgiveness. And the first one is, to, is an admission of guilt. Y'all, we're all guilty. But another part of the process is substitution. 
There has to be a substitution before there is forgiveness. And in verse number 9 again, it says, If we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, one of my favorite characteristics of God is that God is loving. I like that. I like to know that God is a loving God. And so because of that, I like to focus in on the, the mercy and the grace and the love of God to the exclusion of the other characteristics of God. I don't really like to talk too much and even apply it to my own life about the fact that God has other characteristics. And our text says that he is a righteous God. Another word for righteous is just. Now, I like God's justice when it's dealing with you. I'm not real excited about it when it's dealing with me. And so what I do is I just, it's very easy for me to ignore the justice of God and say, hey, God loves me. And just totally forget about the fact that God is also just. That word just is talking about God is willing to judge, to examine us. I mean, and and this is not a popular view of God. And I think part of the reason why is because we know deep down that we are unjust. I really believe, I believe we know deep down that we've got garbage in our lives. Now, some of you might say, well, I'm a pretty good guy, though. I'm pretty close to being righteous. And if you think that way, just let's share a little scripture with you. James 2.10. Here's what it says. It says, for whoever keeps the entire law and yet fails at just one point, he is guilty of breaking it all. Ugh. Isn't that great? We are guilty. And make no mistake, God is just. And because God is just, his law has to be fulfilled. Now, what's a part of the the law? Part of this law is that because of sin, we are separated from God. And that leaves us in a major bind. But here's the good news. Good news is God loves you. And so he's made a provision for us. In Romans 8, verses 1 through 4, hang in there with me as I read this verse kind of long. It says, therefore, there's no condemnation For those who are in Christ Jesus. Because the Spirit's law of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. What the law could not do since it was limited by the flesh, God did. He condemned sin in the flesh by sending his own Son in flesh like ours under sin's domain. And as a sin offering in order that the law's requirement would be accomplished in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Now do you see this? What this verse is telling us, or these verses is telling us, is that forgiveness is possible because Christ was willing to pay off our debt. He was willing to step in and substitute himself for us to take on our debt. Because we can't handle it on our own. The debt's too big for us. Sin debt's way too big for us. There's a guy named Garrett, uh, Garrett Griffin who wanted to go skydiving. 21 years old. And so he did one of those tandem jumps. Have you all ever seen that before? It's kind of weird. There's a guy on your back. And so you're attached to him. It's like a, uh, one of those little, you know, you carry the baby on your front, except for it's a full-grown adult. And so he's on the back, and they, they go to 12,000 feet. They jump out of the plane, and they're in a free fall. The, the instructor pulls the ripcord. When he does, it does not open. Fortunately, there's another ripcord, but when he pulls it, it doesn't open either. 
And so there's, they, there's nothing they can do. They're just hurtling down towards the ground. As they get ready to hit the ground, the instructor who's on his back flips over and takes the brunt of the fall. Amazingly, Garrett Griffin survived. And he survived because there's a man who's willing to substitute himself and take the brunt of the fall so that another man might have life. There is a spiritual application there. That is exactly what Jesus has done for us. See, we are in trouble on our own, but what God has done, what Jesus has done, is he's flipped the tables and he says, I will take the brunt of sin so that you can have life. Because I can handle it. That's what it means when we're told in 2 Corinthians 5.21, He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us. In other words, to take the brunt for us. So that we might become the righteousness of God. That is a picture of Jesus saying, I will cover you so that you can have life, even though you don't deserve it, but it's because I love you. And the only way you can have life is if I am a substitute for you. That is a picture of forgiveness, and there's a process that comes with this, and we need to understand there has to be an admission on our part of our guilt, but there also has to be substitution. Forgiveness is not free. It's a cost. And the last part of the process I want you to see for God's faithful forgiveness is that cleansing has to take place. That's the last, last time I'll read this verse, verse number 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let's say that you have like a, a nasty cut on your arm. It's infected, it's just bleeding. Now you know that it's a bad cut. You know that something needs to happen. You need to go to the doctor. I mean, if you can't, if it's going to get better, you know what you need to do, right? You need to clean that thing out. Now, in a very similar sense, sin is an infection that we all have in our lives. It has cut all of our souls. This causes us, it causes us to stray from God. And the result is that we, we, are, we are separated from God. And it's a nasty cut. Now, if that cut is going to be fixed, it needs to be cleaned out. Now, what a lot of us try to do is we try to clean it out by ourselves. We realize that we have the cut of sin in our lives. Say, so, well, I can fix this problem. What I'm going to do is I'm going to go to church more. Yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to give more money to the benevolence fund. I'm going to be a nicer person. And there's nothing wrong with any of those things. But what you are doing is you are taking your hand, your life, that is marred by sin. That's me, me too. And so we have dirty hands. We're trying to clean a cut. Dirt and the cut don't go well together. Still an infection. I mean, there's an infection that's coming. So what needs to happen is we need somebody who has clean hands in order to purify us. And who is the one that has pure hands? Well, it's, it's Jesus. That's why he came. He lived a perfect life so that he might clean your life. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. It's God's gift, not from your works, so that no one can boast. God came here to cleanse us. That word cleanse means to free you from sin, to free you from guilt or any other defilement in your life. In other words, God has the power to eradicate sin from your life. Yet we struggle with this because we want to do it ourselves. It doesn't work. Let me try to give you an example. Um, last year, 
I, I don't know if some people said it was a midlife crisis, but I, I got a new car. I got sold my truck and got a 2010 Mustang GT. Have you all seen it? Very cool. All right, it's black on the outside. It's got black interior. Um, and whenever I'm in it, I look absolutely awesome in that car, right? I mean, I would love to preach out of it sitting right here because you all probably pay attention to me more. And so I love the car. It's, it's a fun car. Um, anyway, so because I like it so much, and it's black, it's hard to keep clean, so I wash it every Saturday. And, uh, and I, 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 I taste it in the driveway. I, I wash it. I towel dry it. By the way, if you want a really nice clean car, you have to towel dry it. Because if you don't, the water's going to leave spots on it, and it just doesn't look good. So you have to towel. So I towel dry it every week, and then I vacuum it out, and I want it to look really nice. And uh, because I'm trying to, you know, I keep thinking that Emily's going to like me more, you know, if I'm just sitting in the car. And so anyway, so the car looks good. But here's one thing that I've noticed. Even though I wash it every Saturday, I, I, I have to keep washing it every Saturday. There's a few reasons why. One, for example... If y'all know the person in Long Creek, yeah, I don't, this sounds bad, but there's some guy that he shoots his sprinklers out into the road, and I'm the guy that is always driving around puddles when I'm in my car, and so I'm driving in people's yards to avoid the sprinklers. I'm really thinking about running over them with my car. It's just driving me crazy, so I don't know if they go here or not, but uh, I love them in Jesus' name, but, uh, you know, it's a, it drives me crazy. But I have to keep washing the car because it just gets dirty all the time. And, and the same thing is, is so true with us. You know, sometimes we, we come here and we leave and we say, you know, I'm going to be a better person. I'm not going to be, I'm not going to be angry and I'm not, going to use, I'm not going to give, you know, horrible gestures to people. We make all these promises and we do good for a while, but then you know, like a week or two passes and we begin to look at ourselves and guess what? We got dirt all over our lives again. And so it has to happen. Yeah, we need something to clean us, you know, a cleaner it's going to be lasting. You know, when Jesus washed the, the feet of his disciples, he told his disciples, he said, unless I wash you, he said, you have no part with me. Now, how long does a washing from Jesus last? You know how long it lasts? It lasts forever. And it lasts forever because Jesus says, I will cover you forever. Matthew twenty-eight twenty, Jesus said, and lo, I'm with you always to the end of the age. In Romans chapter 8, Paul said that there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God. In John chapter 10, Jesus said, he said, there's nothing that can snatch us away from God the Father. Now, does this mean we'll never sin again? Y'all can give a personal testimony. That's not true. I still sin. So what's the difference? Well, the difference is Christ will cover me. And because I love him when I sin... Because I understand the process of forgiveness. When I sin because I love God, I will confess my sin. And say, God, I was wrong. God, I want to call sin what you call it. And it is dirty, and it is harmful, and it is destructive, and I'm sorry. And as I ask for his forgiveness and confess my sin, I trust that he will give it. Because that's what he says he'll do. neat, Neat things about God. Because he's always faithful. And he is always faithful to forgive you your sin. When you understand the process. What's the process? Admission of guilt, substitution, and cleansing. Now, in closing, are you ready to receive the forgiveness of God?
Do you desire desire it? Do you desire to be covered by him? Because there could be some of you, and you, you know, over time, you, you just struggled with things in your life that you just don't seem to be able to have victory over. You're like, I, I'm tired of struggling. I want to be cleaned. I want to be forgiven. 